0: Greetings. This is Ziggy, and you're listening to The
1: Starbright Project.
2: Welcome to The Starbright Project, a headcast network podcast about one of the greatest TV shows ever created, Quantum Leap. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Moss. I've been a Quantum Leap fan since uh, 1989. I discovered Quantum Leap through my mother. I was in my room at the time when my mom came in and told me there was a show that I needed to watch since it was about time travel. So I turned on NBC and settled in to watch my first episode. Man, I was hooked. Watched every episode. I rewatched it when it was re-aired on the USA Network and then later on other channels. Joining me is my wife and co-host, Michelle Moss.
0: Hello. Unlike Mr. TV... Hey, I resemble that. I can't say that I had the same experience. I may have seen two, three episodes, and what I did see, I thoroughly did enjoy. When I met Aaron, it was one of those moments that surprised him when I told him that I actually knew of the show. Though... I didn't tell him how little I had actually seen. Here it is 14 years later, and now I'm watching each episode in order, one by one, as if it was a new primetime TV show. And I truly am excited. I do hope my inexperience will bring some nostalgia back. To some of the old fans, as I relive some of the mysteries and ask some questions you may have once asked back when you took your first leap with Sam and the rest of the Star Bright Project crew.
2: Join us monthly as Michelle and I settle in and watch the entire run of Quantum Leap. I'm the Quantum Leap, I guess, expert on the show.
0: (sighs) And I'm going to be the one asking a lot of questions, but hopefully helping reignite people's love for the show through a fresh pair of eyes. And we can experience it together on the Starbright Project podcast.
2: Welcome to episode five of the Starbright Project. Once again, Michelle and myself are back to talk about Quantum Leap. woo But again, we're not alone. Once again, joining us is our friend from Down Under,
3: Mr. Hayden McQueenie. star Hayden McQueenie. <laughs> Hayden, how you doing, buddy? Um, well, I've been better, to be honest, but at least I'm healthy. That's good. We're yes. back in lockdown here in Melbourne in Australia. We've had a big spike of cases after... Um, We had some security guards, um, let's just say they were dipping their pen in the company ink with the quarantine guests and spreading the virus. So yeah, because of a few idiots, the entire class is punished again.
2: The way it works.
3: Pretty much, yeah. But look, that just means I've got more time to spend podcasting with you guys and with the Quantum Week podcast.
1: (laughs) There you go. That is a
3: silver lining, I guess.
0: (laughs) I would say send it our way, but I don't want it our way.
2: No, we don't want it. We so, Besides that, we're gonna check out soon enough.
0: And yeah, I know. It's like our second wave. Yep, I saw a bunch of idiots today at the store with uh, no masks and a bunch of other things going on. So These people can't listen. Yep.
3: Yeah. Well, two things are infinite: the universe and human stupidity. <laughs> although I'm not too, although I'm not too sure about the universe.
1: Amen. <laughs> hey,
0: well, you know the Earth is flat, right? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, look, according to a lot of my friends, Australia doesn't even exist, and I'm just an actor that gets paid to put on this accent, and <laughs> look, I did sign a non-disclosure agreement so I can neither confirm nor deny.
2: In fact, you may have said too much, the bomb may have to pay a oh, went at the mob. Let's get into that. that,
0: that. If I'm, I'm lying, I'm dying.
2: Nice segue. So let's go talk about this episode of Quantum Leap.
1: Yay!
2: This is episode four or five, depends on how you look at it. Again, for my purposes, I'm calling episode five.
3: The title is Double Identity, directed by Although Aaron. for just about all the fans, it should be called, If I'm lying, I'm dying. dying. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we
2: keep referring to it as. Hayden, hey,
3: yeah, hey, exactly wouldn't it. you
0: say that the actress kind of reminds you of um Sandra Bullock a little bit? Like a young Sandra Bullock? Um A little. Do you yeah. see that? Or am I just going sure. crazy?
3: Oh, well, I see it
0: a little bit, yeah. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not complaining. <laughs> well, I didn't ask you if she was easy on the eyes, dude. I was just wondering whether or not she looked like Sandra Bullock to me. Like, yeah, I'd say maybe a little bit, yeah. yeah. And I also see a little bit of Brooke Shields
3: in her as well. Huh, huh I never thought
0: of that. Yeah. That was a weird one. You, anyways, go on with well, what you're doing. S-
2: as I say if I was rudely interrupted.
0: Oh, rudely?
2: <laughs> uh, this was written, I'm sorry, directed by Aaron Lipstead. Written by Donald B. Belisario, The leap location and date was Brooklyn, New York, November the 8th of 1965. The original air date was April 21st, 1989.
0: So we're going to go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. It's just a very short little one. So November 8th, 1965, Sam leaves into Francisco, Frankie La Palma, played by Paige Mosley. Um, he's a handsome mafia hitman involved in a dangerous tryst with a lover of a crime boss of Don Gino Foscati. Um, played by Mike Genovese, the lover Ch- Teresa Pascotti, who's played by the beautiful Terry Garber. Sam must avoid the wrath of Gino, the crime boss, while also following Ziggy's instructions, who has formulated a theory to help retrieve him. Some theory that is, by the way. Um, to help him, to help retrieve him, Sam has his brothers, Primo and Segundo, which is first and second, if you haven't figured that out by now, to take a hair dryer or a blow dryer to Buffalo, New York and plug it in. And they take it to some frat house, which is kind of funny to me. Um, and this plunges the entire East Coast into a major blackout. Also, to retrieve Sam, Sam has to be back in the attic where he first met Teresa. And uh, if you haven't figured it out, they were kind of doing the hanky-panky when they first arrived. Or he at least arrived after they were doing the hanky-panky. So he didn't even get to enjoy the hanky-panky when, when he arrived. He kind of had finished his business by then. So that's when the two of them find themselves uh, when they're talking. Gino busts in on him. On them, and that's when Gino and Sam start wrestling to the ground and for Gino's gun, and that's when you see Sam leap. Because I think the gun actually goes off, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, when Sam leaps, Sam doesn't, just not actually leap, but he actually leaps into Gino's body. So now Sam is in the actual crime boss's body. And now we're seeing Sam leap for a second time. For the first time. And Gino, the crime boss, is now confronting Frankie and Teresa about their love for each other. And that's when we find out how much Frankie and Teresa actually love each other. and. With the help of Sam, I believe, and Sam's heart within Gino, you see that Gino actually comes around and allows Gino, I'm sorry, allows Frankie and Teresa to become a couple and says, you know what, I'm going to allow this to happen, and takes them to the church, and during the bingo a game that's being played he announces that they are allowed to get married and gives them their blessing in front of all the little old ladies that are playing bingo which includes frankie's grandmother and still not leaping al's trying to figure out what's going on and that's when al figures out that uh the whole reason why Al's not leaping, or I'm sorry, the whole reason why Sam's not leaping yet is not because of the whole debacle that's been going on, but there's this little old lady, Frankie's grandmother, who's been sitting there for years and years and years playing bingo, and she's never won a game. Never! So, Sam goes up there, and he starts calling her winning numbers. And when she wins, Guess what happens? That is when Sam leaps. And poof, Sam leaps. And he finds himself standing in a diner. And he looks over into a mirror. And he finds out he's not himself. But he is. A man of color. That's right. He is now standing there as a black man. And that is the synopsis for episode
1: five.
3: Surprisingly, Michelle, um, they leap into a repeat of that episode with Sam as the black man quite a few times, and every time they have a slightly different edit of that scene.
1: So, <laughs> really? I
3: can't for the life of me remember which one it is.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. I've seen the next episode, by the way, because I was not willing to wait. A few
2: notes on this real quick. This was
0: the first episode to be
2: filmed after the pilots. Oh, really? But I guess Donald Sario requested that this episode would be pushed back into rotation because he thought that Sam's double leap in this episode might confuse new viewers. So I think that's why, which we'll talk about, when he, he was saying that Ziggy was upset that he doesn't, Ziggy's upset, doesn't want to take blame for Sam not leaping home. That's why, because this was after the baseball episode. And in theory, you would have left it here. But they didn't want to have two episodes with double leaps, because that might confuse people and think oh, that's going to be how it's going to be normally.
0: Ah, I could see. Yeah, because that would have thrown me off. I yeah. would have been like, well, where's, this? Yeah. I'm like, where's the second leap? What do you mean? That's stupid. I want to see two leaps all the time. And also,
2: another note I got here, the primo is the Italian word for first. Segundo is the regional Italian pronunciation of second, seconda, Secondo. which is the Italian word for second which is his brother's name, first and second.
3: <laughs> you know, it's funny, in this episode, they managed to get some filth past the senses just by making sure that it's in a different language. Yeah. This is something that they do a little bit in Quantum Leap. They try their hardest to get filthy stuff past the senses, and this is a good example, because uh, Don Gino calls Teresa a putana, and putana means slut.
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. I just learned a nice new naughty word. Yeah. <laughs>
3: so... It's fun being able to swear in
0: other languages, isn't it? Well, you know, we we live in a very pro- prominent Hispanic town, mm-hmm. a- area, and uh, let's just say I learned how to cuss fluently by the time I was in sixth grade before I could even do anything else. And <laughs> I, had some pretty, uh, I could say some pretty horrible things.
3: Yes, well, actually, um, as you know, I'm a teacher, and when I was teaching in high schools, I'm a maths teacher, but I also speak Indonesian, and so oh, wow. if the Indonesian teacher was away, they'd ask me to cover for them, and uh, they didn't really ask me to do that again after I taught the whole class how to swear in Indonesian. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> so let's see, so we got, we got an Australian friend here who can speak Indonesia, we got my wife who can curse in Spanish, and we got me who can barely speak English.
1: Go Keen!
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, we know a little bit of Italian after this episode. Yes, yes. About he, as much as Sam does. Uh, Gloria. You know, it's actually quite funny. You were saying how this episode is actually the first one in production after the, uh, pilot. Right. And, um uh, Look, I don't know if this is a problem for you, Aaron, but it is a problem for me, um, looking at this episode with the benefit of hindsight, because this episode really does feel like prehistoric quantum leap. Yeah.
1: Um,
3: it feels very experimental, which isn't a bad thing, but they do try a lot of things which they then abandon and never try again. <laughs> um, and this one kind of breaks the established um, status quo that he has to leap somewhere, or that he leaps somewhere to put something right that once went wrong, because for the vast majority of the episode, they don't even think about what he's actually left there to do. All that they, they seem to care about is, um, this convoluted plan to try and leave him back home. And this plan to leave him back home, as we know, obviously fails, but right. they never actually try again to leave him home as well, so, um, I don't know why they wouldn't keep bringing these elements in to try and think, all right, well, maybe maybe we can do something to try and get you back home once you complete your mission. But, yeah, uh, it's an entertaining episode, I'll give you that. But uh, it doesn't quite feel like Quantum Leap, at least as as we know it, with the benefit of hindsight. So it feels like very early Quantum Leap, even for Season (laughs) 1.
1: See, I'm
0: going to disagree with you. Because I think because you've seen so much quantum leap, you can say that.
2: Oh, do say with, with looking yeah. back at it, it's
0: why. But hindsight. But what I'm saying is though, for me, it still felt very quantum leapy because it was very much still Sam and Al and all the quirks and the mirror gags and all the Talking about Ziggy and all of that stuff, like, for me, is still so new that I can't say that. So, and not knowing so many episodes, I wouldn't even know, you know, and, and tell you guys, you know, that little fun fact that that's actually, that that happened. Like, I wouldn't have pinpointed it. You know what I'm saying? So.
2: But yeah, if you I, watch this a dozen times. And right. Media,
0: you'll... Yeah, eventually you will. But it's someone like me who. Unless you are, like, a major, major, major Google fan and watch it, or it's on TV and you right. watch it, like, stupid Law and & Order, and it's on, like, a million gazillion <laughs> times during the day. Aaron. <laughs> then, like, I don't, I don't know if the normal viewer, not someone who's, like, OCD status of right. watching it, it, would really... Pick that up. I don't know. Well, that's but, just that's my opinion. I
2: mean, yeah, the first time viewer, yeah, you may not notice it, but yeah, watching it a couple of times and watching the entire season, you'll see things, and you head said that they don't really try again, and you wonder why. And yeah, I think, and I, that kind of threw me off too when I was watching this, the fact that, and I remember that they tried to retrieve them, and I'm wondering, you know, Ziggy was upset that they haven't brought him home yet, and I'm just, well, why is, you know, Ziggy upset now about it? It's been a couple of weeks. And then when I was doing research on this episode, uh, yesterday I found out that it was actually the first episode recorded after the pilot. I'm like, oh, that makes sense now. Yeah. Why, well, you know, Ziggy's so upset. Just Ziggy thought he did return home last time, but he didn't. So he, this is kind of a, a continuation from when he left after the baseball player.
0: But why isn't Ziggy, why is Ziggy mad? Because I thought it was Zig, kind of Ziggy's fault that he's not home yet.
2: No, it's not Ziggy's fault. It's... And again, we'll get into that in a later episodes.
0: Yeah. I
3: think I can answer that for you, Michelle. Um, it's because Ziggy um, is a special computer that actually has an ego. That, that's kind of what they programmed Ziggy to have—an ego—and Ziggy's actually worried that he is going to be blamed for the fact that they can't retrieve Sam. So that's why Ziggy's in such a bad mood and so determined to get get Sam home.
2: Yeah, Ziggy's not responsible for it, but Ziggy. That's a good thing. He feels responsible, even though he's not. Yeah. Because of his ego. That's that's a good explanation. Yeah.
3: Can we talk a little bit about the plan that they came up with to try and get Sam to leave home? Yes, we can. Yeah. Um, so the plan is that um, Sam has to be in exactly the same spot <coughs> that he was at. I think it was 24 hours after he left there, which was inside Teresa in Don Gino's attic. Inside
1: Teresa, like
0: we said, he gave her the slip.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, at the same time, he has to put a hairdryer, plug a hairdryer into a Pratt house, to cause the massive blackout. So um, I think that, in its own convoluted way, and this again is with the benefit of hindsight, by the way. If I do talk about anything from the future, it'll only be little elements so that I don't spoil you, Michelle. But it it seems like um, Ziggy is having trouble with targeting Sam and also having trouble with electrical interference. So this would be a good explanation of why he has to be back where he was to start with, because Ziggy would be able to target him a lot easier then. And also, if he causes the massive blackout, then... um, Ziggy's not going to have the electrical interference. Well,
2: let me hear you right there. I don't think the blackout was was part of the the uh, their solution because if you notice at the very end when uh, Sam was saying, "You know, it didn't work," Al said, "Well, how how do we know that a blow dryer is going to cause a blackout?" So I, I don't think the blackout. Well,
3: they, they might not have known that though, but I think Ziggy predicted it. So I mean that. What other good would plugging this hairdryer in do? I, I don't I mean, know, but had predicted the blackout, so. right? And uh, I'll, 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 I'm not, I'm not spoiling, but just a, a little element. It's not the first time that they've actually used electrical um, interference to their advantage, right? right? No, I,
2: so. <laughs> but yeah, that's the only reason I'm basing on. yet. Yeah, Al seemed like Ziggy said that she should not No one could. That no one could predict the blackout, so that's why. He, Again, I don't know why the blow dryer needed to be plugged in there exactly,
3: but well, to me it seems obvious Ziggy wanted to cause the blackout, so but that's that's just my interpretation right. of it. So Ziggy so so hadn't explained that to Al, so Al was surprised, but Ziggy wasn't.
0: So the blackout actually did happen in New York. Yes,
3: yeah, so and I'll talk about that here and later on.
0: Well, no, I need to know that now because that I mean, that's I, under Bush of history. I know, but I
2: but, uh, I yes, wasn't was aware
3: a, of that. Yeah, there
2: was a great Northeast blackout of 1965 that took
1: place on November 9th.
3: I actually got this here in my Beyond the Mirror image book. It says, Sam is responsible for the famous 1965 blackout that covered 80,000 square miles of the U.S. and lasted 13 hours.
1: Oh the my power gosh.
3: surge that caused it, though, occurred at 5.16 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at Bob Moses Generating Plant, not at 5.15 p.m. <laughs> in the student frat house, as per this episode.
0: Okay, um, so, on the, on- so the reason why I, I'm asking that is because... So that, I mean, just like everything else, they already kind of knew about that in the future, right?
3: Uh, I don't think so. I think we're expected to believe that we live in the timeline that Sam has changed. So we live in the result of Sam's act.
0: But wait a
2: minute. So so originally there was no blackouts
3: on the East Coast? I would would argue that originally there was no blackout, and it's only because City suggested it and made them cause it that Now, this blackout is in our
1: history. But, but that, to me,
0: that doesn't make sense Mm. because the whole Watergate thing, they knew about Watergate.
2: Well, Watergate is.
0: And They knew about Vietnam.
2: Well, those things were going on independent of what Sam did. Those were already going on. That's why they were able to sneak in that building because the thing was locked, was uh, taped open because the guys were sneaking into Watergate. That's how Sam was able to get into the building.
0: Right. But Watergate.
2: It still would have happened whether Sam was there or not. What
3: Actually, is, the interpretation that I heard was that uh, they wouldn't have investigated Watergate unless Sam was there to, to you know, sneak in, open the doors, and give them a reason to investigate.
2: Because, well, the door was already taped open when see, that's how they got in. Oh, okay. Yeah, just if you if you look at that, the, when they opened the door, we they sh- pan down and show the door was taped. Yeah, open, the
0: door was taped open,
2: which implies that someone was already breaking into Watergate.
0: Right. And then there's also the fight with Muhammad Ali or whatever it was Again, that already that hap- happened Right, that happened, prior. As,
1: that happened
2: as it happened in our real life. Right. The only difference was that in Quantum Leap's reality, after Sam left in, uh, the kid, I forget his name now, made a lot of money uh, it on it. Kid
1: Cody.
2: Kid Cody, thank you. Kid Cody made a lot of money on the fight. Okay. But that fight still went on and nothing changed on that. I think this may be one of the first huge things, actual real world things that happened that was caused by Sam and L.
0: Well, what about Peggy Sue? That's a oh,
2: different
1: horse
3: entirely.
2: To on a that's a <laughs> <what> different horse <laughs> entirely. No, no, well, it's
1: it,
0: not.
2: Well again, that, and that's one of the problems that we've talked about with quantum life is that sometimes and again this is an early episode, so sometimes some things uh they caused it to happen. And some things, like the Peggy Sue, he should have known about that because if if he helped Buddy Holly... Did we talk about that yet? Yes. Yeah, okay, we talked about that last time. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we,
3: we have talked about that one.
0: But let me interrupt But what? in
2: reality, in our, in our actual reality, it has nothing to do... Buddy Holly wasn't on the farm. He didn't get that idea from a pig.
0: Right, but the thing is, though, what I'm trying to say is, though, Buddy Holly was Buddy Holly in their reality and had that hit song so it was already historically done. Right. So whether he told them what it it would have happened whether or not he did that or not.
2: Right. My thought is that right, Let
0: me finish. Okay. So my thing is who knows whether or not someone would have plugged in something at all those frat houses at that you know, during that time right. frame, they could have plugged in a radio and they could have plugged in something that would have caused the power to go out, whether it have been a to a blow dryer or not.
2: Well that that could actually be so for last the, the Peggy Sue thing, maybe with Al and Sam or Sam being there and suggesting that maybe he wrote Peggy Sue earlier than did our reality.
3: Right. That that was my thoughts as well, and uh, it, it might have been that with Peggy Sue written a bit earlier, a kickstart Buddy Holly's career a bit earlier and enabled him to have other hits. That, that might be the only reasoning behind well, that. Um, but I, I, I think that in the case of Double Identity, though, uh, it seems pretty clear that Sam is the one that's responsible for the blackout and that it wouldn't have happened unless they died. done it.
2: I, so. I want to agree with you, but after Michelle spoke, I, I got thinking, because in our... And again, this is kind of what we're going to talk about in a brush with history later on, in reality, the blackout was caused by the tripping of a 230-kilowatt transmission line near Ontario, Canada. Maybe, in Sam's world, this caused the blackout instead.
3: Yeah, or, so it maybe, that, or it could be that, originally, a blackout did happen, but it wasn't as severe as it had been after yeah. they plugged the hairdryer in. And they needed that extra surge so that Ziggy could um, get over the interference, perhaps.
2: And I'm, I'm trying to watch what I say so I don't ruin anything. But, I mean, there's episodes later on that we'll get into more, some real-world stuff that actually happened, and we'll find
3: out stuff that's
2: different.
1: Yeah.
2: Let's put a pin in that. <laughs> now,
3: look, I, I really like talking to a first-time viewer because it brings back a lot of memories. Oh, yeah. It's just I, I pissing me off of when it's two. time I watched it as well.
2: <laughs> Question for you, uh, Hayden. Have you seen yeah. the Netflix show
1: Travelers?
3: Um, I've seen about one episode of it, and then I kind of never went back to it. Not because I didn't like it; it's just that it's something I haven't gotten around to. But yeah. um, that's kind of like a team of um, quantum leapers, isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah. It's basically the premise is people from the future. I don't think they ever say the year. Are sent back to someone century. else's body in the 21st century, and they're trying to prevent tragedies and a bunch of stuff. The reason I brought that up is Michelle had a question about that.
0: Well, it wouldn't make any sense to even, but...
2: Well, he may have heard in that... I don't know if they mentioned the first episode of what you saw. The person behind the program in The Travelers, his name is The Director. Okay. Which we find out later on. I don't know if it's spoilers or anything, but it's an AI program. Okay. And Michelle was asking me when we was watching this episode is, is Ziggy kind of like the director from The Travelers?
0: And I meant just like the AI, not necessarily like all the other stuff that happens. And if maybe there'll be a listener out there that has re- or watched the show too, and be like, "Oh my gosh, I've never made the connection." Or,
2: like I told you, it's 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 Ziggy is like the director, as Ziggy is an, an artificial AI program
0: who's got an ego. It's
2: got an ego that runs that runs Quantum Leap, but Ziggy's unlike the director doesn't have any control over where
3: Sam's going. Yeah. Uh, I'd say so, yeah. But yeah, I well, thought the a good show. Yeah, very similar. Yeah.
0: So, it, when that, with that being said, uh, it's very random where he goes, yes. where Sam goes? Yes. Yes. So there's, they have no clue whatsoever where he's going to go next. Correct.
3: That's exactly right. So they leave it up to, they call it God, time, fate, whatever. Right. Uh, And Ziggy's in charge of trying to find out through the historical records what has gone wrong in their life once they know where Sam has landed and give them the idea of what needs to be done so that Sam can leap on.
0: Has Sam ever had to do a do-over? Spoilers. Ah, good question. (sighs) Ah, gee, many good questions.
3: Let's put a pin in that. So the answer is yes.
1: No, I just have a bit of pin in that. Um... So I've got a
3: question. We quest. would be able to tell you about that one anyway because of a quantum weight superstition, let's just say. <laughs> See, Aaron knows what I'm talking about.
2: Yes, he does. Uh, I, we're it out for, I think it's next season.
0: Oh, <laughs> my gosh. I'm just going to, like, binge watch these. Forget being a new watcher.
2: <laughs> so I've got yeah, a quest- question. I'm,
0: like, I'm <laughs> oh. jealous of you guys. <laughs>
2: so, Hayden, i got a question for you in the barbershop when Sam was getting his hair cut and uh, the Don asked him what he was doing there. Al comes in and he tells him, well, he gives him the answer, the right answer. How did Al know what uh, Frankie's father had said?
3: Uh, that's a good question. Um, again... Little bits of elements of the future, but not anything majorly spoilery. Um, it's not uncommon for Al to be a scout and have a look at what's going on in other places. So the way that I, you know, um, the way that I think about this is that he must have just been listening in on the conversation that the Don was having with um, with the other guys.
2: Well, see, that's what I was wondering why did it takes long for him to show up and talk to...
0: Because he is too... Busy talking to... What's her name? Teresa? No. Who? Al was too busy oh. talking to... What's her name? What's her name? Tina. Tina. <laughs> he was finishing... they you go. There, that answers my question.
3: <laughs> and also, you know, he was you know, overheating because he turned off all the air conditioning. So maybe right. he, he overheated and fainted. Who knows? But,
2: that's, good, that's good. That's good. I'll fall by that.
0: You know, I was thinking maybe it's kind of like he's got, uh, like on his little... Hanley. Link. link. Maybe he's got, like, a a TV or, like, a little viewer or something or where he's at in the control center. Like, I always just thought of it, like, kind of like a Sam TV or Al TV. I that going to be TV. Sam TV. Well, that's in my hard. mind, that's kind of how I see it. Like, when he's not hologramming into right. whatever, and you'll have to excuse me, I am medicated right now because I have a migraine, but so, like, my vocabulary is kind of limited at the time. But,
3: um. And we made you read the synopsis.
0: I know. <laughs> and I think I did pretty good for being dyslexic and on medication.
3: Really, I was doing Anyways. But,
0: out, huh? well, yeah. I didn't say dyslexic. How Yeah. I just picture him, like, having some kind of viewer or something where he can watch him, like a peeping Tom or something. And he only comes in when he wants. Or he's too busy, or maybe you know he's hitting up
3: Tina. Hitting up Tina and oh, the way that I the way that I kind of um, interpret it is that Ziggy's always monitoring what's going on, and so if something happens, Ziggy will get straight onto Al, and Al will rush over. That's the way that I think of it. Yeah, that's way I look at it too, usually.
1: I like my. Way back.
3: So, so you're not far off, actually. Something else about that scene in the hairdresser, though. Yeah. This is another one with the benefit of hindsight. <laughs> I don't think it would play out like this if it hadn't been so early in the season. Um, now, it's obvious that Sam doesn't speak Italian right. and has no idea what the Don's saying, but in if this was later on in the series, I think that uh, he probably would have known what the Don was saying and be able to answer. Why? Why? Okay. Um, again, only a little bit of an element of the future, but... Sam absorbs a little bit of the Leapy every time he um, leaps into someone else. And in the future, he actually can speak in the language of the Leapy. Mm-hmm.
2: And that's something Michelle was asking about, which I here on his notes. Uh, he was asking about Sam and Teresa, is Sam in love with Teresa or what's going on there? Why is it interesting seeing her again?
0: Because when, when they walk, when they're walking down the street, a couple of things. First of all, I really liked how... When the camera was looking through the windows as they were walking, you actually saw Frankie instead of Sam. In the that was a
3: really good mirror shot because didn't they have like the, the actual Frankie walking with the yeah. Segundo and yeah. the other guy yeah. in, the, in the window and then the camera pans around a little bit in one shot and then you see Sam yes. with the two. Yes, yes. They, ju- they must have just jumped down, and swapped Sam over yeah. quickly so that they could do it all in one shot. But it was very, very clever.
0: Yeah, it was really done very well. But my thing was when when he saw Teresa cutting hair and thing, he was like, oh, like, he looked at her almost, not like a piece of meat, like how Al would do it, but like, he was just like, hubba, hubba, like, she's super hot. I want to go get my hair cut by her. And I, and I was looking at Aaron, and I'm like, wait a minute, is that Sam talking? Or is that more Frankie talking? And I, it, there's this cross that I'm still trying to figure out.
2: Well, instead so what you think, I have a three-pronged explanation for that. One, he left in after they just got done having sex, so he knows that Frankie has something for her. My second thought is what you'd said that we'll see later on, that sometimes Sam will get some leftover thoughts and feelings and whatever from their his host. And also, uh, the actress, what's her name, Terry Garber? She is hot, so I mean, I don't blame Sam for, you know... Looking in the window and seeing, I wanted to get his haircut. But
0: Sam is not a horn dogger. Right,
2: but he can still be
3: attracted to a woman.
0: Yeah, but just differently than Al would be. But he yeah. doesn't normally express himself in that sort of way.
3: Oh. Actually, he's... I can answer this for you, Michelle. Okay. Okay. Um, it's because Al told Sam that he would have to be doing exactly the same thing that he that he had been doing when he left in. So he he actually does need Teresa in the attic with him. So this is him kind of setting in motion trying to get Teresa up in the attic with him.
0: But he didn't know that at that time, though.
3: I thought Al had already told him that. No.
0: No, this was early on in the episode. No, he didn't know that.
3: Oh, okay. Well, then, uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he was picking up part of um, Frankie's love for Teresa, then.
0: Because, and then...
3: And that's what I was wondering. That's what I was You'll have to forgive me. I haven't watched the episode in quite a while. It's okay. So it's uh, okay. The timeline is a little wonky in
0: my head. <laughs> that's all right. It's just it
3: happens.
0: you know, it's just for me. Al, I mean, Sam is more like the wallflower, the nerdy guy who is very much the romantic, who is going to want to sweep a woman off of her feet, bring her flowers, you know, woo her date her, get to know her, like, that kind of thing. He's not going to be like, oh, wow, look at that mamacita. I want to bang her. And then walk into a hairdresser's shop, put some moves on a girl, and then go and bang her behind a furnace, like, you know, they said.
3: Part of it is, like you have said earlier, Aaron, is the second episode after the um, pilot. In the pilot, they specifically said that everyone has to believe that you are the person you've left into. So maybe Sam is kind of speaking um, to himself, this is exactly what Frankie would have done. He, he, he would have been going after the pretty lady. So uh, so it might be him just picking up the Frankie act so that no one questions that he actually is Frankie. But,
0: they, but the thing is, though, in that particular scene, they were advising him not to go in. And really, there was no reason for him to go in, well, in as Sam and or as Frankie. But Sam Frankie, so Frankie, decided <laughs> to go in anyways and go get his hair cut by her and talk to her. And they had to back him up with the other mob guy and well, say that the, the, the Don's got friend. No, it was the, the second yeah. Don or whatever. It was the,
3: right. Just, just a group. couple of things on that. I think that uh, Sam's not very good at, uh, especially this early on, Sam's not really all that good at putting himself in the time period he's left to. So right. he probably hasn't realised that it's kind of taboo at the time to get your hair cut by a woman. Right, so bitches, he's just yeah. acting as he would have acted if he was in his own time. So he, uh, it might be that he's trying to act like Frankie, but he's not doing a very good job of it. And the other thing that I'll say is that... Uh, Sam has very good instincts. We see this a lot. Often he'll act by his own accord because he thinks it's the right thing to do. So maybe he's just gotten a feeling that Teresa is important and that he has to get close to her. That might be the other explanation.
2: Well, I got two explanations. One is A, like we talked about, he's got some of those host feelings still, a lot more later in seasons, episodes. He's got any of those host feelings from Frankie pouring over. Also, another explanation like I said, this was supposed to be this first episode after the pilot. They may still be trying to figure out his character. and That's gotten what kind of crossed down, through my years. mind.
0: Yeah, maybe. That's
2: probably one of the best explanations, I think.
0: Yeah, that's what i was saying is maybe after filling out the character, that might have not been what he would have done later, later on in the season. Yeah.
3: So Yeah, well, that's a good point, actually. Um, at another point early on in the series, uh, we see Sam check out the part of uh, – of a really lovely looking woman who walks past and you wouldn't see that later on in the series yeah. either. So that's actually probably a good explanation that they're still trying to get a handle on Sam's character.
2: Also in that area, that that after the get you know, the uh the barbershop when they're talking, Michelle had a question about uh when Al was talking, he said my dad and his girlfriend uh used to sneak him out of the orphanage and she was wondering, you know, if he's got a dad why he's in the orphanage.
0: Yeah, that just kinda of struck me kinda of
2: well, she asked me that, and let me give you what I found on the Internet real quick, and I'll ask you your thoughts on it, Hayden. Uh,
3: well, I don't want to spoil too much.
2: Right. That's what I'm, um, without uh, spoiling things. But I found on the Internet that says examples of what could cause a child to be placed in an orphanage, or the parents are deceased, the biological family is abusive to the child, there was substance abuse or mental abuse in the biological home, or the parents had to leave work elsewhere and able or willing to take the child. So there could be an explanation of why, which we'll talk about later seasons of why he was in the orphanage, but he still had a dad that could sneak him out. Yeah, that... Unless let's you need
3: really
2: further... Say one of know. those reasons. Yeah. <laughs> unless you, yeah, so this is you don't want to further add to that. That's well, what I, I mean, found that kind of clears that up without spoiling things.
0: I kind of figured that with his personality. I mean, if you're a teacher, you kind of know, like, when they're like that as an adult, they were damaged as a child. Right. So, like... Kind of a given. Again,
2: yeah, we don't go too much detail. Those are reasons why he would have a dad
0: and still be in the orphanage. Yeah, I guess. It just, I never, I didn't catch that. And right. so I was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Did he just say he was in the orphanage but he had a dad? Like, <laughs> hmm.
2: Like I like, like didn't to. We'll talk about this later. We'll put a pin in
0: there. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> God, also, do you think I've got a migraine now?
2: <laughs> also, like in that same area where you, when Al says, you can trust your leaf to those two?
3: It Sam's like, I'm just going to link to you and Ziggy. I <laughs> love that line. Yeah. Again, I think this is a throwback to just how early it was, because mm-hmm. I don't think that Sam would have been that uh, that nasty to Al at the time. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, no, if, if la- it been later on, series. yeah. It would have been quite so uh, sarcastic, I don't think. Really? Maybe. Well, maybe. I don't know. We'll see.
0: I mean, as a friend, I mean, you kind of crack on each other's balls yeah. every once in a while. I mean, that's part of having a good friendship. Right. So I don't know. I think if you have a good relationship with your friends, you could be that sarcastic right. and that quote unquote mean. And that's that way and, and snarky and right. not be it mean it being. And let it be a facetious, in a right. facetious manner. I didn't get it. I didn't take it as a facetious manner. I just, Matter of fact, like, right. I'm, like, de- I'm dealing with your chunk, but, you know, like, well, I don't, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't see it that way. But then again, I, I've seen things a lot differently. I <laughs> think oh, <really laughs>
2: it will we all along.
3: Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Did this episode answer any questions that you might have had from previous podcasts, Michelle?
0: No. Yeah. What? You I,
2: sure? I made a note about this. This answers one of your earlier questions with pin in. What? You asked what happens when Sam leaps. What does the people, the, the leapy, know about the time where they were gone? As we saw from here, after Sam left out of Frankie into Don Gino, when Frankie woke woke up, in quotes,
0: oh, he, had, he had
2: amnesia. He thinks it was the previous day. He doesn't yeah, realize that's he was right.
0: gone. Right. Yeah. He thought it was just, which annoys the crap out of me. Because again, I feel sorry for those people. Like we go to the other episodes where like the guy doesn't realize that he hit Mach Three and he has a baby or poor uh Donna who is now in gonna be in the car with Kruby McFondle pants, you know?
3: <laughs> Creepy McCrape place.
0: Yes. <laughs> Like, oh, and by the way, if you haven't figured out, I name things really, like, funky things. Like, Aaron's got a pizza cutter that I now call the Wonky Donkey. Nice.
3: So, but, yeah. you know. You know, here in Australia, um, it's kind of funny that every time something new has to be named, like, there was a, a ship that had been built here, like a cruise ship that was going to be going out, and they wanted to... People to come up with names and to vote on them, and and people voted for Bogey McBoatface.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds and like so, a very Australian
3: so this, thing. This kind of meme that goes around that anytime something has to be named, it's Namey McNameface. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but
0: yeah, no, that's that's me. Like I always name things, and especially if I can't remember
3: stuff. But yeah, but yeah
0: no. We
3: no, you know who you're
0: talking about. <laughs> but yeah, it's just. I, I was just, I don't know, like, I think that's not fair, and if they're in this holding pin, like, the way I see, I don't know, I see it so... we will,
2: don't, don't get too far into that, but blah, we will, blah, 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 blah. We will, we will see this later on. We will talk more about
3: this. Ugh. <laughs> And again, let's just say this is very, very early on where I think they hadn't ironed out a lot of these details. Uh, a lot of these things.
0: So. My face is in my hands and I'm <laughs> shaking my head in disgust because I can't. Everybody knows. It's like everybody knows everything but you. All the cool kids know. Yes, I am left in the dark. <laughs> it's like, ugh.
3: I'm just going to... Trust, trust us. We're, we're doing it for your benefit. Uh-huh. Yes. Sure. You know
0: what? I we can't, I can't even scroll through, like, the guide on our TV it says a Quantum Leap. Aaron's like, I can't let you look at the the, the, the guide thing and read it because it might have information that you can't see. And I'm like, gosh darn it.
2: Yeah, it's, it's on comets. The TV station comics are often... And- yeah, so it was on like twice in a row, and she was doing something. So I happen to stop. I'm like, oh, so I quickly moved off. And she's like, what? I can't tell you. It's got spoilers in it.
0: I'm like, so now me be me, me. I'm like, oh, it's quantum leap. I got to go past it. I'm like, oh, but I really want to look. I reckon
3: look. we're going to have to come up with a new segment for you, Michelle. What? We'll make a segment that where you talk about all the things that you predict that no. might
0: happen. No.
3: That you might extrapolate on from a little <laughs> bit that so you've seen and, and we'll really enjoy hearing them and
0: it's it. just gonna be called <laughs> Michelle's Bitch and Moans is all it's gonna be. That's like, funny. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh my goodness.
3: And no, I'm just having a quick, you know, um, sift through the the book here to see if there's anything else worth talking about, really, and um, I don't think so. I think we might have
0: covered everything I wanted to talk uh, about. Well, I mean, um, the other thing is, like, that Aaron's got his notes, is did Sam cheat to allow Grandma to win? How did he...
2: At the very end.
0: Yeah, with the bingo thing. I mean, I thought that was very endearing. Endearing? Endearing. I thought it was really endearing, but it's like maybe they knew Grandma was going to kick the bucket in a couple of days or something. So, like, Grandma had to get that last
2: bingo game. Well, I'm just curious you know? how... Because he didn't leap until after Grandma won bingo, which implies that if he hadn't been there, Grandma still wouldn't have won.
0: And that was the whole purpose of him being there, was right. the grandma.
2: Right, that's the whole purpose of him being there, was to the win bingo.
0: Which, which really, you know, I'm noticing, like, all the times he leaps, they're really insignificant leaps.
2: And that's what you know, a lot of people, you know, like Sam and, or Al and Zig, uh, you you're well, you got to do this and this. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it's like, well, why didn't I leap yet? And then it's
0: got to be something else, like... Pick your nose. Well, Scratch your butt. In the, the but Don episode. Your shoe, shoe, your In the Don episode, it yeah. seems
2: like they were right that Ziggy, or Ziggy, I think it was Al, or Ziggy predicted that he had to get the redhead and the, the job guy together, and that's what happened to get him to leave. Right. But sometimes, like, for instance, the Hallett test was one. They predicted that someone had to marry Tess, that sent her unlo- unsent love letters, and couldn't find out he just had to get You see, written a little earlier, apparently. So they're they're just like I said before, they're just really guessing. They don't. They're
0: grasping for straws. Yeah, they
2: don't know. They're just looking at history and saying, "Okay, well, this is what happened." So I'm assuming we need this to happen.
0: So poor Grandma was going to kick the bucket, and so the only way to give Grandma that last gratification before she died, she had to win bingo because Grandma played bingo. They said for years and years and years, (laughs) and she never won and she needed to win bingo so her life could be complete. And so, which brings well, back
2: to my question, Hayden. Okay.
0: Did, did did Sam cheat to allow Grandma to win, or why
2: did Sam need to be there for Grandma to win?
3: Do you have an opinion well, on I that? Well, I think that it is quite possible that he did cheat. It's quite easy to cheat at bingo because all you do is, uh, when you put your hand in, just make sure you've already got the right ball that you need in your hand, and then right. just sift around in there a little bit and pull out the exact same ball that you put in there, and but, then, you know, you've got the right ball. But what I was going to say was I think that this is kind of a special case where Sam left kind of prematurely from the first leap into right. Frankie because they never actually established what Sam had left there to do. It wasn't until Ziggy had interfered and he ended up in the dom that he realised that the original leap was probably to get Frankie and Teresa together. Um, so I think that he had to finish off what he was supposed to do from the Frankie leap, right. but then the other reason that he left into the Don was highlight the, the Don's mission, which is to make the the Grandma win. So I think that there was a mission for the Frankie leap, which was to get Frankie and Teresa together, and then a mission for the Don Lee.
2: That could be it. I mean, because, yeah, originally Frankie was supposed to be there, so at the bingo. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's yeah. it. So, I was wondering about that. Just if yes, Sam was cheating but, or how, how grandma wanted Sam there, otherwise, yeah. I'm like, but how did he you know the number, which to pull, and would Sam really cheat?
3: But well, Al was there too, so maybe Al just had a look at the grandma's. And maybe um, he might have been in the back room you see or something. Yeah. yeah. And he says to Sam, oh, you got to pull out this number or something like that. Well, that's
0: It'd what nice I was thinking. That was what I was thinking is maybe like Al was standing behind grandma. Right. And and I I feared that's what we what we were gonna see is like you know you were gonna hear you know Al tell Sam or a show a VA. VA or something like right. that but uh nope I, but I just I like my premonition of that grandma was gonna kick
3: the bucket <laughs> yeah, she might
0: have I mean, she's old or well, maybe she wanted to go on a holiday and needed the money something yeah. like that she's not she's the Don's mom Are you no.
3: kidding
2: know who no she's not the Don's mom it's Frankie's grandma.
0: Frankie's grandma. Okay, well, she yeah, has I
2: don't money. I think she was
0: well off. I don't know. I think she, I think she would have had money.
2: Another the comment I have about moving along quickly is right Right before that, after the uh, the preacher announces that, you know, they're going to get married, I love just Sam standing there, his hands out to his side like, I'm ready to leave.
0: Yeah, he <laughs> thought he was hot shit at that point. <laughs> Fixing his hat all, like... I don't know. think he
2: thought he was hot stuff. I just, he, was just, he was ready to leave. So he's like, his hat raised. So he's just like, because usually he leaves right away, so he's, like, waiting for it. No, oh,
0: because he, he was thinking he was ready yeah, like, to go. He yeah. thought he was, no. he was done, and he thought he did a good job. So he was like, ta-da!
3: I just like this. He's
2: like,
0: "Yeah, I'm waiting. Let's do this. I'm ready.
3: You know, I've got something else that I've thought of about this episode that we might want to talk about. Chris, who's the host, Christopher D. Philippus, who's the host of the Quantum Leap podcast, absolutely despises this episode. Really? And it's because of how stereotypical oh. the Italians are in this episode and we actually do see a lot in the series of Quantum Leap that most of the time if the person's Italian they're equal what are your thoughts about the stereotyping of the Italians in this episode
0: well first of all I forgot to say how much I love when he's up there singing
1: Oh oh. Cantare. Oh, oh, oh,
2: oh. Cantare. Oh, 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 oh.
1: Nel blu dipinto di blu. Nel blu dipinto di blu. Felice di stare lassù. E volavo, volavo felice volavo, più in alto.
4: Volavo, Del sole ancora più su. Mentre
5: il mondo pian piano, saliva <laughs> pian, lontano piano, da gil, una musica dolce, suavano, mm-hmm. sultano per me.
1: Una musica dolce,
4: suavano, per, per me. Yeah. Volare again. Vol-
1: is oh, oh. yeah. oh, Your love has given me wings. The whole oh, yeah.
0: wedding scene, Why? the whole Valari thing, like, it cracked me up. I thought he did such a great job. I um I had to go and see if he's done any other singing stuff like online and come to find out he's a really talented musician. Like I didn't even know that. Yeah.
3: So Well, um they actually released a an album of songs from Quantum Leap and Scott Bakula sings most of them.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, I wouldn't have. So
3: maybe you might want to get a copy of it. No, so I'm, no. Good.
0: I'm good. I'm We're
3: good. We'll look into that. But to answer your question... Sorry. That's fine.
0: Um, you, you can go first this time.
3: Well, actually, can I say something about Valaro? Yeah. yeah. Um, you think it's incredibly unbelievable that Al can just say a couple of words from the song, and then Sam knows the tune to the song?
0: Well, I think that has to do with the whole, like you said
3: before, that the character's knowledge.
2: Maybe some of it, some of it bled
3: over from Frankie. Yeah. Yeah. Or well, maybe he did know the song, but just needed that little bit of a, a boost. Yeah. Or
0: maybe Sam knew it beforehand because I remembered some of it, and I—I I mean, I've heard it.
2: So maybe somebody's heard, and because again, he wasn't doing the song very well until you got to the
3: very end when he kept repeating "Loree" and that last part. <laughs> he said, like, "So." But look, that, that it was a really fun scene, but not very realistic in my opinion. Unless they kind of could say, like afterwards, "Oh, how did I know that song?" And I was like, oh, you must know it from way back, and yeah. you just needed a little bit of a, a spark to remember it all." Either, that or if they said something like that, then I could could accept it a bit better.
1: That or a little bit of host bleed
2: over, possibly, could explain it also. But I think, and, yeah, they should maybe address that. And had you know, had that conversation possibly to help out because I, I can see where you're coming from.
0: Yeah, me too. Also, it was interesting to see because you never ever see this that the actual character had sweaty armpits, <laughs> and you never see like on movies and stuff that the actual character has sweaty armpits. I don't know if you guys caught that or not. Probably not, but.
3: When he well, Scott Bakula is like the hardest working man in television, at least <laughs> at that time, yeah. because he he had to essentially, for all intents and purposes, play a different character in a different time period, in right. a different context. But you
0: every never episode. see, the characters never have that. Like, if you look at movies yeah. and you look at all that, you... I mean, I see it sometimes. I never and
3: notice And the that. other thing, too, is he's in about at least 90% of all the same. Yeah, through, so, so he's really uh, hard work with. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So it's not surprising to me that he would have sweaty armpits because he would be.
0: Well, but it it's just in that one scene when he's singing up on the stage that his armpits, the yeah, underarms, seen other shows. whereas they look a little sweaty. have yeah, huh. shows where they
1: huh. have sweaty armpits. I've
0: never noticed that. But, yeah, I was like, oh, that's kind of neat that they actually have yeah, sweaty these armpits before. before. I don't know why I caught that, but... <laughs> As far as to answer your question, I was thinking, like, wow, those, the wedding attire, the women's wedding attire was very Italian-looking for the time frame. The big bows and that kind of thing. It was very Italian-looking. And But they're mob people. I mean, that's just so that's, his, that's
2: his question. Is it, Do you have a problem with the mob being, just because they're Italians being associated with the mob?
0: That's a hard one, especially right now with everything going on in the world. I'm afraid how to phrase that because, like, you don't want to stereotype people, but...
2: Oh, well, I don't care. I don't like stereotyping people.
0: Yeah. I, it doesn't,
2: it doesn't oh, bother me. It
0: doesn't bother me either. But I'm not Italian,
2: so I mean, that, that may be why Chris has a bit more problem than I would have with it. I,
0: because if I were to see somebody play a white trash trailer trash person... For a show, I'm not going to get offended just because they're white and they're trailer trash. Well, and also,
2: as we'll talk about next episode.
0: No, don't come <laughs> my ears.
2: As we want next, I mean, you have to have someone that's, you know, in quotes, be the bad guy. I mean, and it's just this time having be Italians. Next episode, Michelle's already saying something. To say it, uh, it's it's going to be white people in general are going to be, the, you know, the bad guys. So I, I don't see a problem with that because if it. If it was just Italians and it was only if I had Italians, it was that way. Maybe I, I could see a little bit more. But seeing how I say next episode is going to be white, white people in general is going to be the bad guys. And a lot of them gonna be very typical, very stereotypical 50s people. White people, if you will. With so, that mentality. Yeah, I don't see so interest. much of a problem. Because again, there was a reason that there's these stereotypes. Right. Back in the time, at that time frame, yes, a lot of Italians were involved with the mob and it makes it for better television to have... It's a story. Yeah, it makes it better, more better television to have them...
0: Over the top?
2: And Well, over the top, and it's not necessarily better television, but it's a... Uh, story. It's shorthand to get to point across, because you've got 60 minutes, actually, what, 42 minutes, or whatever it is, without commercials? 42, 45 minutes, yeah, to tell a story, and so... You're painting a picture. Yeah, and the quickest way to paint that is that way, I believe. Yeah.
3: Well, my thoughts are they weren't actually intending, I don't think, to stereotype Italians, No. at least in this case. My thoughts are they're wanting to actually tell a story about mobsters. Exactly. And, and in this case, they're in the mob. Yeah. That means that they're most likely Italian. It doesn't so much mean that, they're evil because they're Italian, right? Or if they're evil because they're in the mob, yeah, and they exactly. Have to
1: Italian. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think we're all
2: agreed on that. It's just basically for the storytelling, and yeah, it's not—they're not saying all yeah. Italians are evil, because
3: again, you had all those little ladies who were nice. You had, you know. Yep. Yeah, and I think part of part of Chris's disdain is that he, like you, Aaron, and and myself, we look at this with the benefit of hindsight, and we see many times throughout. Quantum Leap, the right. Italian being the bad guy, and I think if this was a one-off, then Chris probably wouldn't be as um, as angry about it as he is. Right. So I personally don't have a problem with the episode, even though I'm not Italian, so I probably shouldn't say <laughs>
2: anything like okay? that. Well, see, I'm not Italian, so that's why I don't have a problem with it possibly. But also to counterpoint Chris, well, this he hates this episode. This is one of my favorites because the deal it has the the two leaps. And it deals again, it's an earlier episode, so while there are some things as you said, may may not revisit, I do like the whole anytime they deal with either Sam or Al's backstory or they deal with Project Quantum Leap by trying to leave Sam home or whatever, those tend to be my favorite episodes.
3: Yeah. I think part of it too is you're right about what you know. Don Belisario is Italian. Right. He, he writes for Dean Stockwell, who is Italian and who was in Married to the Mom, and I believe was nominated for an Oscar for it. I think you're right. So uh, it's part of writing about what you know and playing to your strengths as well. So Anyone that knows me
2: knows I'm a big comic book fan. Thanks, Captain Obvious. And most of your, your comic book characters from the you know, 50s, 60s, 70s are white male superheroes for the most part. And people say, why, why can't there be more black people, more Hispanic, more women superheroes? Well, because like you just said, you write what you know, and at the time, most of the writers were white males. So that's why most of you, know, Batman, Superman, all of them are white males because that's who's writing them and that they do best about those type of characters. I think it's the same way
1: here.
3: But look, I'd be very interested to hear what our listeners would think about this issue and about the episode in general. So, Aaron, how can the listeners get in contact with us?
2: Again, they can email us at starbright at headspeaks.com. Starbright at headspeaks.com. You can go to our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Headcast Network, and leave us a message. Awesome. And Hayden, if they want to hear more about you, what can hear you at?
3: Well, I'm very vocal on the Facebook page for the Quantum Leap Podcast, so that's facebook.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. That's probably the easiest way to get into contact with me, or I'm on social media. Just Google me. I'm the only Hayden McQueenie in the world, so... <laughs> so I can't
2: be that hard to find well unless you guys have any more thoughts on this episode we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back hey Jeff hey Mike
6: man it sure is great to be back from crisis to crisis after all this time it's been a busy year for both of us for very different reasons but now we're ready to cover the post death and return Superman stories
4: Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey.
6: Worlds Collide.
4: Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again.
6: And don't forget the Elseworlds annuals as well.
4: Well, most of them anyway.
6: Yeah, yeah, some of those really did suck, don't they?
4: But from Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before.
6: You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com.
4: And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash fromcrisistocrisisasupermanpodcast.com. Is it .com on there? No, 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 it's not. No no .com,
6: forget that. (laughs) So From Crisis to Crisis is back, folks, and better than ever.
4: Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you shut up.
6: No, you shut up. 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 From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman one half month at a time. Every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com.
5: Dear Diary, Four million years later is a highly advanced form of podcast. I don't really know if it's from the past or the future, but the hosts can think and have real feelings. I don't understand it, Joe. There's already been podcasts doing an episode-by-episode rewatch of the original Transformers cartoon series. Why would two dopes be doing another one? I... I don't like it. Something's wrong. Real wrong. Four Million Years Later is a podcast from me, Jersey Drozd. And his friend, Hoover. Who are two guys who've watched Transformers since 1984 and have never stopped thinking or talking about it. We've been friends for 25 years, and a large portion of our discussions have been about the details and minutiae of the original animated series... So, since 25 years still hasn't satiated our need for talking about this stuff, we've decided to put our thoughts and discussions to metaphorical tape and launch a podcast. So, find Four Million Years Later at your favorite podcatcher, or just go to 4millionyearslater.com and listen there.
1: <laughs>
4: Perfect! Absolute perfection!
2: Welcome back. Be sure to check out the, those shows, great promos. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next segment.
5: This will be the day that I die. Did you write the book of...
1: Not oh, the
3: Candyman, candyman.
1: Ooh, The Candyman Bye. Bye. What?
2: what is on Sam's playlist?
0: Oh, dear God, let this be better music. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the first song that we're, that we're going to mention and talk about is Get Off My Cloud by The Rolling Stones.
3: Get Off My Radio <laughs>
2: Let's <laughs> we'll go ahead and listen to that for a second, and then we'll, we'll, we've already got some of uh, Hayden's thoughts already, so let's go ahead and listen to that, and we'll get back to that. Cloud by the Rolling Stones. Um, so Hayden's already made his thoughts now, so let's get more thought on it. Hayden, tell us how much you love Get Off My Cloud.
3: Um, that it ends. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry to any listeners who like the Rolling Stones, but I'm not a fan. And so, <laughs> look, it's not as bad as when they did Dancing in the Street. That's the worst rendition of that song I've ever heard, and the worst video clip in
0: human existence. <laughs> yeah, uh, I will but, yeah, say it's pretty fan cringy. Fan. Oh, see, now I'm I am a Rolling Stones fan. It goes back like we were talking about in, I think it was the last episode. I grew up with the whole British rock stuff. British... And British, British. Yes. My uncle, uh, they had a pool, and so music was always being played, and the Rolling Stones, Pink Floyd... And uh, just the Eagles, uh, Beatles, all of that. Um, in fact, I owned a lot of that kind of music even in high school and listened to a lot of it. So I'm, I'm very fond of. Are you
2: familiar with that song, Get Off My Cloud? Yeah, I'm
0: very familiar really, with it. Like that yeah, song? I like the song. I mean, it's not one of my favorites from them, but I don't hate it like every other song we've ever had on our <laughs> playlist. So far, I mean, there's, been, what, two, like, Elvis and something else, but at least I'm not wanting to, like, pull cool my hair out or slit my throat this time <laughs> around. But thank oh. you, Rolling Stones, for saving me.
2: A little going on this real quick. Uh, Get All My Clouds is a song by the English rock band, The Rolling Stones. It was written by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards for a single to follow the successful I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Great I love that song. song. In Hollywood, California, early September of 1965. The song was released in September in the United States and October in the United Kingdom. It topped the charts of the US, UK, Canada, and Germany and reached number two in several other countries,
3: including uh, Australia.
2: <laughs> uh, apparently, <laughs> Australian new wave band Jimmy and the, band, and the Boys released a cover version of the single titled Get Off My Cloud in
0: 1981. Apparently, Australians don't know good music. <laughs>
3: Oh, we do. We had a better
0: song. <laughs> Which we'll get
2: to in just a few minutes here. But, yeah, I, like I say, I don't know the name of the song, but, yeah, the, the chorus, yeah, I know that one. I remember hearing that all the time. And I'm like, yeah, hey, I don't I don't love it, but I don't hate it. It's a decent yeah. song, and I think it's much better than we have recently, so. <laughs> okay. The second song, Al, this month, the other top song was "I Hear a sympathy by... How about "I Hear a no, it's
0: Symphony"?
2: symphony. What do I say? No, you said. No,
0: you said Symphony. No,
2: you said sympathy. <laughs> yeah. I hear a symphony. Symphony.
0: You have symphony. A symphony. And it was recorded by the Supremes for a Motown label in 1965.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, let's go ahead and uh, hear a little bit of that one.
5: And every day I thank you, love, for feeling.
2: I hear a, s- a symphony
6: by the Supremes.
0: written and produced by Motown's main production team Holland Dozier in Holland the song became the sixth number one pop hit on the billboard hot 100 pop singles chart in the United States for two weeks from November 14th 1965 through November 27th 1965 on the UK pop chart the single peaked at number 39 the background string arrangement can be attributed to the great arranger Belford Hendricks, who also wrote arrangements for hit songs recorded by Mary Wells, Teddy Pendergrass, James Brown, The Four Tops, Jackie Wilson, and many other stars.
3: This particular song was sung several times on the Ed Sullivan Show because okay. the screens appeared many, many times for obvious reasons. Uh, But usually when they would go on, they'd do a medley of some of their best songs and then whatever new one they're out with. And so this one was quite often done in those medleys. Hmm.
0: It's not one of my favorite songs to them. I like The Supremes, but this is not one of them that I I care for. There was covers done also. Stevie Wonder recorded the song um, in 1966 as did the Isley brothers. You have Michael Jackson, who recorded the song with the Jackson 5 in 1970 at the Motown... (laughs) You startled me! (laughs) With this... uh, Michael Jackson in, in 1970, I couldn't even talk, at the Motown recording studios in Los Angeles, California. You have the Canadian pop singer Elra Faction, who covered the song in her 1988 album My Name is... Ira Elra action. Jeez, thanks for naming your cover the same thing <laughs> as for your album, the same as your name. Her version was titled, oh my gosh, was titled Ira I Hear a Symphony on the album, but just I Hear a Symphony as a single charted on the RPMs dance charts in 1989 and received some, some dance club play internationally, but was not a mainstream chart hit. So I wonder if it was like some Clubby kind of Probably. music. So Hayden,
2: what are your thoughts on on that
3: song?
0: Oh, I like it. It's
3: um, pretty standard sort of Diana Ross and the Supremes, so mm-hmm. I don't have any problem with it.
0: It's not my favorite. No, it's not.
3: It's not brilliant, but it's it's a nice song to listen to. It's got a nice meeting and you to it. I, hey, <laughs> I it, it's,
2: it's an old thing. No, no, man.
0: Yeah, I know it's an old saying, oh. but I'm still looking at you like, what the heck? I enjoyed
2: the song. I say it's not my, like Hayden it's not my favorites. But, yeah, it's, it's enjoyable. I, I wouldn't turn it off if I was playing. I enjoyed it.
0: I'm such a music snob. I would find something else on the <laughs> radio to listen to. And usually that's where I would end it.
2: But since Hayden really disliked the first one, he sent me a link for the, uh, This was the number one song in Australia. It was called The Carnival is Over by the Seekers. Let's listen to that for a minute.
0: a song for the church or what
3: no um, well the Seekers like Australian music royalty over here uh, it's because they were the very first Australian music act to get a number one hit outside of Australia (laughs) in um, the UK it was I'll never find another you they are still performing occasionally they recently did their, their golden jubilee which is 50 years and the song, The Carnival Is Over, which is the one that uh, you just heard, is kind of like uh, our synonymous farewell song that is often sung. They, time they do a concert, it's what they always end with. But uh, it's not uncommon when someone's saying farewell in, uh, in an event that uh, they'll either play or sing this song. A good example is the Paralympics in 2000, which were in Sydney. Uh, the Seekers sang that particular song to close the... Paralympic Games.
1: Well,
0: damn it, now I can't make fun of it.
3: <laughs> yeah, that, the Seekers were actually named Australians of the Year in 1967 due to their, their contribution to Australian music and their breaking out internationally. They originally started actually as a, uh, a band that were going to play on a cruise ship. It was a, a six-month gig um, playing on cruise ships going to and from England. But the people on the ships loved it so much that they got in touch with uh, recording companies and said, you've got to listen to this group, they're amazing. And uh, yeah, so that's why they made it big in the UK. Maybe not so much in the US, but uh, they were very, very big, and obviously in Australia and the UK, and through a lot of the other parts of the world as well. So well,
0: The name of Seekers sounds familiar, I'm not going to lie, but... like. They sound familiar. I wonder what other songs they have that we may might know. But
3: they're one of those bands that you know the songs when they come on, right? Right. But they're not really something that you think about. But they are Oscar winners as well because they did the theme song to Georgie Girl.
0: Oh, okay.
3: Yeah. So Georgie Girl is probably their biggest single for that reason, and they won an Oscar for it.
0: Okay, that's probably one of the reasons why we know it. Yeah.
3: In case you didn't realize, the Seekers are one of my favorite bands and definitely appreciate what they've done for Australian music throughout the world. Um, and I was very lucky to go to their Golden Jubilee concert. Oh, that's uh, it was, cool. They were having many seniors moments on the stage, but they all laughed <laughs> them off and the audience <laughs> loved it as well. The biggest congregation of elderly people I've ever seen in my life. But, oh, they were getting into it. How, oh, it how
0: was, old are they? Like...
3: The the people in the band. Yeah. They'd easily be at least in their late 70s, maybe even their 80s.
0: Oh, my goodness. So the
3: fact that they are still performing at times is quite a testament. They're all still alive.
0: Because I saw Fleetwood Mac, and they're they're kind of up there in age, but they, they were amazing, you know. And I've seen Cher, and she's up there in age, and she was amazing. But I was just curious, like, when you said old, like how old are you, like walking around in
1: rockers? like
3: Jubilee tour, they were showing old videos that they'd done from back in the, when they were together in the 60s. And at the time, they'd done this joke thing. They're saying, oh, what if we were still together performing fifth wheelchairs and all that sort of stuff, just as a funny little video. <laughs> they played that at the very start oh, of their 50th anniversary concert. Too
0: funny. <laughs>
2: well, again, I'm the type when I hear some have to look things up. So I was looking up uh, Athol George Guy. I guess is the leader. Uh, Athol Guy. Yeah, and he was born in 1940, so he's actually 80 years old. Wow.
3: Right now. So. And he was a politician here in Australia as well. Uh, okay. Unfortunately for the party that I don't like, but I'll forgive him for that because he made good music. <laughs> and he played the double bass. Okay. Keith is
2: born in 41, so he's a year younger. So, yeah, they're in their late 70s,
3: early 80s. Judith Durham had a very strong solo career. She was the lead singer. She had a very strong career as a solo vocalist as well, but uh, she likes putting back on her Seekers hat every now and then <laughs> when they decide they want to get together too. Diana Ross and the Supremes, because right. she was the, the big name, uh, it's the same situation they're pretty much known now as Judith Durham and the Seekers.
2: Yeah, she's 77.
3: But she's actually the one in the worst health.
2: Man, yeah, it's really nice that you got to see him perform, especially, you know,
3: a golden celebration like as it word. Yeah. yeah, most definitely. I've just found something about the music. I was just skimming through the book here, and uh, it's interesting that in your music section um, you were talking about a song from the Rolling Stones and right. a song from the Supremes because – at one point in the episode, um, Stop in the Name of Love by the Supremes was playing, that was playing in the hair salon. But the draft script suggests um, following this with Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. So <laughs> they didn't get the songs quite right, but it you looks like they were at least trying to.
0: Yeah, at least it was the same time frame. The
3: same artists. Yeah. And the same um, artists. artists. Yeah. Well, I must make a look at that now and see. Is so that all Oh, and let's hope you don't have the replaced music version.
2: Well, I'm hoping this is the original. In fact, can we compare
3: this to the the uh, one that's played on NBC app and see?
0: Yeah, that'd be interesting to see now.
3: Yeah. So yeah, I, I just thought that was worth pointing out because of um, the music that you actually mentioned in the music section.
0: A brush with history. There was a, we wanted to mention that playing on the cinema with Sam and Prady's family when they were walking down the street was Dr. Zhivago. It's one of the biggest films of 1965. And
2: this information, real quick, came from quantumleet-alsplace.com, which I mentioned in our first episode.
0: And the release date of the movie was uh, December 22nd, 1965 in the U.S.
2: So, real quick, it was released December 22nd. This episode took place November 8th, so again, a bit of a... Uh, time difference? Yeah. It was actually released before, after Sam was in this time period.
3: Well, maybe the mob held a gun to their head and, and, <laughs> the, and released this movie early.
2: Possibility.
0: Uh, the movie was set in Russia between two, uh, the years prior to World War One and the Russian Civil War in 1918 and 1922, and is based on the 1957 Boris I'm sorry if I screwed that up, which I'm sure I did. The novel, Dr. Zhivago, while immensely popular in the West, the book was banned in the Soviet Union for decades. For this reason, the film could not be made in the Soviet Union and was instead filmed mostly in Spain. The film stars Omar Sharif and the title role as Yuri Zhivago a married physician whose life is irreversibly altered by a Russian revolution and subsequent civil war, and Julie Christine as his married love interest Laura Antipova, and the supporting cast includes Geraldine Chaplin, Rod Siger, Alec Guinness, Mm -hmm. Tom Courtney, Ralph Richardson, and Rita Tushingham.
2: Alex Giddish knew him.
0: Hello there. And the name sounds familiar. Obi Wan Kenobi. <gasps>
3: oh! <laughs> well, she'll him easily, but she'll be back. Gamby and in great numbers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, have you seen or read Dr. Shivago
3: yes. No, reason. I haven't, but I definitely should because I know that it is one of the best films of all time. It's just I've um, never gotten around to watching it. So.
2: Yeah, I've, I've seen bits and pieces of it, I think, but I've never actually sat down and watched it again like you. It's something I probably should sit down and watch or
3: at least read the book. Maybe we should do a special podcast about it.
2: There you go. We'll have to, do a, we'll have to watch and then podcast about it because I, I don't have enough podcasts going on as it is.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got nothing but time while I'm in lockdown, so we may as well.
2: There you go. So what we'll look for the future. And I'm sure you haven't seen Dr. Chivago.
0: No. The title sounds familiar,
2: but... Again, it's one of the classic books and movies, and you probably heard it mentioned everywhere. Uh, our second feature, for second part of this month's uh Brush of History, as we talked about a bit earlier, the Great Northeast Blackout of 1965, which took place on November 9th. As it says, double identity reveals that the power outage was started by a hairdryer. Uh, and I pulled this information from History.com because I was curious, was there a blackout at that time frame? At dusk, the biggest power failure in U.S. history occurs as all of New York State, portions of seven neighboring states, and parts of eastern Canada are plunged into darkness. The great Northeast blackout began at the height of the rush hour, leaving millions of commuters, trapping 800,000 people in New York subways, and stranding thousands more in office buildings, elevators, and trains. 10,000 National Guardsmen and 5,000 off-duty policemen were called into service to prevent looting. The blackout was caused by the tripping of a 230-kilovolt transmission line near Ontario, Canada at 5.16 p.m., or maybe it was caused by a blow dryer uh, at 5.18 p.m., we're not quite sure which.
3: Or at least exacerbated by (laughs) it.
2: Which caused several other heavy-loaded lines also to fail. This precipitated a surge of power that overwhelmed the transmission lines, in western New York, causing a cascading tripping of additional lines, resulting in the eventual breakup of the entire northeastern transmission network. Altogether, 30 million people in eight U.S. states and the Canadian provinces of Ontario and Quebec were affected by the blockout. During the night, power was gradually restored to the blockout areas, and morning, by morning, power had been restored throughout the northeast. So as I'm reading this, I'm actually putting things together in my head, and I realize what happened with quantum leap. The 5.16 Ontario, Canada, the blackout, the, the tripping of the 230-kilovolt transmission line started. I think it was at 5.18 is when they plugged the blow dryer in. That's what caused it not to be able to catch up, and that's what caused the continual blackout. So it was a combination of both in my fan linking? Sure, makes sense to me. <laughs> so there you go. Okay. So have you heard yeah. of the, the, the blackout before, I guess, before Double Identity? Are you familiar with that, or just what we've heard
3: I didn't know about it until I'd watched the episode and then read the book and heard other podcasts that say that it was a real yeah. blackout. So, but yeah, so as always, Quantum Leap teaches me my history. Yeah, nothing wrong with that.
0: You know what's funny is I said I didn't remember it, but like I remember like hearing something about it because it kind of sounded familiar, but right. like I don't – I can't say I really re- know of it.
2: You know what I'm saying? Well, not if you're getting a conversation, you let them know what was caused by – a uh, two hundred thirty kilowatt transmission line near Ontario, Canada, plus around the same time there was a blow dryer plugged into a frat house together because of the blackout to happen on the northeast. Yes, ma'am.
0: I'm glad I didn't see this when I was a kid. And I'm gonna tell you why. What the show? Yes. Why? Because stupid space ball screwed me up so bad, <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you why. I thought for the longest time there there really was an opening on the Earth's, uh, up in the sky, that opened up that let the spaceships go in and out. And, and, I can't even talk because I'm so (laughs) flabbergasted right now. That literally there was this shield thing that opened and closed that let the space shuttles go in and out. And that's how they got in and out of the Earth's atmosphere. But no, like, and that's, finally I put two and two together, probably like in high school or college or some stupid reason like that, figuring out, oh, wait a minute, I saw that in a movie and it's not true that there's no sliding door in the atmosphere that allows you to go in and out of
3: the earth, Michelle, like, well, don't you love it now that they put warnings on old Looney Tunes cartoons? I mean, how many times have you run into a massive boulder because the roadrunner's gone and oh, – sorry, the yeah. coyote has gone and painted a tunnel on it?
0: So, yeah, so I, I don't know why for some reason that really screwed with my mind, but I think Spaceballs for that one. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what
3: so, a so you're dummy. So you in your head, you'll have even more trouble distinguishing what really happened and what didn't.
0: Well, I'm just thinking, like, had I seen this, like, back then, maybe I would have thought it was, like, from a hairdryer or something. <laughs> like, I would have been like, oh, yeah, I know about that. They they plugged in a hair hairdryer and it caused the whole eastern seaboard to go out. I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, no, it was it was a hairdryer. I know this for a <laughs> fact. And there's a, there's this opening in the earth and, and it slides open. and And Spaceships can go in and out just fine, but, you know, while we're it, let's – or splat. too stupid me. Like, yeah, I just – I guess sometimes that's where our daughter gets our naïveness from is, is yeah, that kind of stuff. But, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. My daughter – our daughter just walked in and looked at us and went, ah, and threw her hands up in the air and walked away. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Do you have any other thoughts on hades Hayden?
0: <laughs> and I he's like, oh, God, is <laughs> I do. <laughs> Go away, Alexis. Um, uh,
3: no, I, I never really had any trouble understanding the difference between real <laughs> and make-believe. So, so no, uh, uh, at least uh, brushing upon this little bit of history. Of you the know, Hayden,
0: to tell you how gullible I was, what, I am the only granddaughter out of six grandchildren on my yes. mother's side. And my grandfather would always tell me I was his favorite granddaughter. Oh, that's cute. And I believed it and believed it and believed it. I was in high school and I was walking the halls one day and it hit me when I was like, hey, wait a minute, I'm his only granddaughter. (laughs) And I had to call him up and be like, hey, wait a minute. What do you mean I'm your favorite granddaughter? I'm your only granddaughter Years and years I thought I was his favorite until I figured it out. Well, like, he wasn't lying. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's well, what, what you he? said. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I
3: guess Such I'm, is my life. <laughs> well, it's funny, my, uh, my nana, um, used to call my mum her chosen daughter because, uh, she's my dad's mother. And, <laughs> and uh, after she passed away at the funeral, Mum said this to one of my aunts, who is also one of my nana's daughter-in-laws, and uh, and said, oh, she used to call me your chosen daughter. And uh, my aunt says, she used to call me that. <laughs> I saw where I was going. <laughs> I so it, it's, it's funny how these funny little um, sayings come, come about and we associate them with ourselves.
1: Um. Yeah.
0: And I have to point out one more thing if we're going back to the
1: episode. We're not. We're done.
0: No, I want to say this. Okay, let to say. So, every year for Christmas, we go to, well, not every year for Christmas. During Aaron's birthday, if there's a Star Wars movie that comes out during Christmas Eve, our family, we all get in our Star Wars shirts, my parents, the kids, the older sons, their wives, if they're available, we all go see Star Wars on Christmas Eve, which is Aaron's birthday. Nice. Well, you know, being a mom, getting everything ready for Christmas and everything, cleaning the house, doing everything else, like, I was exhausted. And so we go see, was it The Last Jedi? That's what it was, right? The Last Jedi? Was that what the name? That's the name. No, the last one. The last one was Rise of the Skywalker. Rise of the Skywalker. The last one. Rise of the Skywalker. And I sat there. And I was zoned, like, I kept falling
1: asleep during the
0: movie. And I thought I was falling asleep, like, five minutes here and there, five minutes here and there. And I would wake up at pivotal moments. Like, I woke up and I'm like, why is Kylo Ren talking to dead Han Solo? Like, it (laughs) threw me off really, really bad. So, the same thing was happening with this episode from Quantum Leap. Like, I, I, every time we tried watching this episode, I kept falling asleep and I would wake up, and the right when the transmission guys were in the transmission, like they were saying that something was happening, and I I thought it was like a nuclear power plant or something. I never saw any of the blow dryer stuff. To, so tonight we ate dinner, and I'm like, well, let's watch the episode one more time before we talk to Hayden. And he's like, okay. So I watched it, and I finally saw all of that scene. For the first time, and we've seen it, this is our third time watching it. At least this is my third time watching it. It's the first time I saw the hairdryer part. I didn't know the steps. I didn't know that the blow dryer blew out the stuff. I didn't see any of the transmission, uh, the the transmitter up in the telephone pole go out. None of that. I was like, oh crap, it's a good thing I watched all this. <laughs>
3: Good idea. Yeah, I know, I'm to just... just... Oh, another interesting bit of trivia. Jean Pierre Dorliac, who is the costume designer, told us that when he designed Therese's dress, it was designed actually around the stump so that when she bends over, the panties are visible. <laughs> it actually had to be rigged with wires so that it would rise up in the back when she bent over.
1: <laughs> oh, very
2: nice. <laughs> I love that scene when she walk around. She's... The guys are diverting their head, like, oh crap, don't look, I want to look, I don't want to look. I don't want to get killed.
0: I don't <laughs> want to sing soprano. <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> Very nice. Uh, it's me- hilarious that when the dog says that, out um, sorry, Sam gets the
0: high note. Yes, <laughs> I loved that part. It's like, <laughs> I
2: loved it. Well, okay, so like I said, like uh, you guys, the one on the Quantum Leap podcast has said, even a bad episode of Quantum Leap is great, it, You know, it's better than That's most that- TV. And in my opinion, this this was a really good. This is a great episode of Quantum Leap. So, even though it was an early one, and there were some problems again, just because it's so early and they pushed it back a little bit, I still think it's a great episode.
3: I think so too. I'll take it warts and all. It <laughs> it definitely has some problems, but it's still a very entertaining episode. Oh, very much so.
2: What we'll do you mean? Thoughts on on this
3: episode of Quantum Leap, Hayden? Um, no, I think I've said everything that I wanted to And the show. Any other thoughts?
0: Nope. I just enjoyed it for what it was worth.
2: And same here, as I've said, it was a great episode. Again, I love anyone that deals with either the project or Sam Rao personally, and since this one deals with, again, they're trying to leave them back and that whole thing. I, I, this is one of my favorites. And, again, the, the music in it's great. And just I, I love all the guys that's playing. The old Italians are very, very spot on. Uh, and I know they, that's what they're good at doing, but uh, they do a great job at it. But I guess that's going to do it for this episode.
0: So, I noticed that we're kind of changing a little bit in our visual <laughs> look this time around. We're not, um, how we should say of the Caucasian persuasion, if you, if you must say. So, we're not necessarily, it didn't look like he was in like, Harriet Tr- 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 Tubman?
1: German? Tubman. I'm
0: so <laughs> tired. So, you want to give me a little bit of. You know, check your little doohickey? And yeah, let me check the
2: handling, like, to so what it tells me. My little doohickey.
0: Yeah, your doohickey.
3: You are correct. Yay! <laughs> Sorry, I just hit the handling that made a pterodactyl sound. <laughs>
2: So yeah, it looks like you are correct. He's not in Harry Ten in time. Um, checking the hand link, and it looks like the hand link says that yes, you are correct. He's a black man, and yeah. we'll show hate in this one. Okay, oh, yeah, we're, we're good. Uh, yeah, we, uh, you'll do it next episode. You're right. He's a he's a black man, and well, I'll give you a little clue. If you looked at the people behind him, yeah, there's a lot of white angry faces at him.
1: Oh boy.
2: Thank you for listening to the Starbright Project. Join us monthly as we continue Leaping with Sam and Al. If you like the show, I recommend buying Quantum Leap on Blu-ray. You can also watch it on the NBC website or app. The only thing on this show that Michelle and I own are our thoughts and opinions. NBC Universal own the rights to Quantum Leap and any songs that we use are owned by their prospective owners. Any clips we use, we're using good faith for the show. I know this doesn't excuse us legally, but we just want NBC to sue us. We're as big fans of the show and want to share that love with the world. For more podcasting goodness, check out the other shows on the Headcast Network. HeadSpeaks is released on the first Tuesday of the month, where I talk about comics, TV shows, movies, books, and whatever I want, but it's usually geek-related. G.I. Joe, a rollercoaster, headcast, is normally out the second Tuesday of the month, where a rotating batch of guest hosts and I discuss the G.I. Joe comics and cartoons from the 80s. The third Thursday brings us Task Force X, where I talk about John Ostriger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate comics, both from the late 80s, early 90s. Finally, the fourth Tuesdays of the month, we have the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, where I examine the Will Payton Starman comic and the Mark Shaw Manhunter comics. Again, both from the late 80s. Then on Thursdays, I release my second batch of shows, where Michelle shows up on most of them. The first Thursday of the month, I'll be releasing The Starbright Project, a Quantum Leap podcast, where Michelle and I look at the greatest time travel show in the late 80s and early 90s. Then the second Thursday of the month, look for Retrospect of the 80s. You guessed it, Michelle and myself take a time travel trip back to the greatest decade that was, well, in my opinion. The third Thursday, will possibly, maybe, bring another show, Voyager's Cast, for Michelle, I, and some guests look at the best time travel show from the early 80s. And finally, on the fourth Thursday of the month, I have Bravo Team, where myself and possibly some guest hosts talk about anything G.I. Joe related, not covering the main G.I. Joe show. Also, if you like what I'm doing, please check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash headcastnetwork. If you're enjoying my shows, throw a few bucks in the bin. It would be most appreciated. But that'll do it for this episode. Join us next time, to see where Sam ends up. Oh, boy, uh, Sam leaps into Francisco, Frankie La Palma who is played by Paige Moosley, I believe that you pronounce that, a handsome mafia hitman involved with a dangerous tryst with the lover of crime boss Don Gino Franscotti, played by Mike Genovese. The lover... It's actually Trist, sorry. Um, yeah, I
0: line. was... I was That's I bugging say? me too. Tryst. it's Trist. Trist? So no.
2: You're going to do that since I can't speak English.
0: <laughs> Sam Leibson... Something <laughs> for the
3: blue reel.
2: Yeah, as everyone knows, I listen, I can't speak English properly, so uh, try that again. Sam leaps into Francisco Frankie La Palma, played by, in the mirror, Paige Mosley? Mosley. Mosley? I do
3: Mosley. And Moseley. I think it's Francesco, by the way.
2: Francisco. <laughs> Francesco? Francesco. It's, it's all
3: right. It's uh, Francesco it Frankie
2: English, La Palma. Would I give you this? Uh, let me She'd try. She probably read that Okay, so <laughs> one more time. She's going to read this time. She and this is funny. the
0: dyslexic person on a bunch of Vicodin reading this, so this is going to be awesome. And this is
3: Viking. We will save the episode anyway. I think I can do it without a, a synopsis if we need it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it, okay, so the synopsis is November 8th, nineteen sixty. All right, so this is episode five of... Why'd you unpause it? Okay, just let it, let it keep recording. You can just clear it out. What is this show called again? The show is well, <laughs> oh Okay. Gosh, right okay. So this is episode five of... Uh, what is this show called again? <laughs> I know, I should be drinking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We all know
3: what
1: it sounds like anyway. But... No, I don't. Oh, okay. Hey, you get
2: off of my radio! <laughs> <laughs> oh, one second. Let me pull it up on here. I got it somewhere. Um, <coughs> <here>. <coughs> 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 hey. Sorry.
0: S- oh, you're Symphony. Symphony. That's what you said. That's as bad as what? What's the other word that you can't say? There's
2: a lot of words yes, I can't say. Here's your phone.
0: Okay. That's marble. That's us the ad. got
2: get the ad.